0: All right. You guys can have a seat. Got our exercise in this morning. Let's go. Uh, I do have one more important announcement actually, um, before I keep going here, uh, I guess it's more of a, a heads up, but I, uh, I have, I had shoulder pain for like four months, like the past four months. And they gave me a shot or something in my shoulder. I don't know what it was. Some of you, I, maybe I should know <laughs> what they're putting in my body. Um, but they gave me they gave me like this flyer with a bunch of stretches to do. So this is one of the stretches that they told me I needed to start doing. Should I demonstrate that for us right now? Or is no, I won't. I I almost did at Frederick Meyer Garden on Friday, but I didn't have anybody to take a picture. And I figure somebody might call some. <laughs> I know you guys will always have my back for stuff like that. Thank you very much. But yeah, um, maybe, you'll, maybe you'll see me actually do this, do this stretch um, on the internet uh, sometime soon. But just I, I wanted you guys to know, if you see me doing that, um, I'm not having a, a mental breakdown. Um, not today anyways, but uh, I'm just doing what the doctor told me. Okay? So you've been warned. Um, enough is enough with my comedy hour. I'm excited to share the message with you guys today. We've been in a series called Up and to the Right, and it's primarily a look at um, stories of Jesus' disciples following Jesus into uh, the Christian life, Um, and what we find is, and and you can attest to this, I'm sure, if you are a follower of Jesus, that following Jesus is not this, like, straight line up and to the right to success. It's, It's messy, it's a winding path, it's... A roller coaster, it's an awkward stretch. (laughs) I tricked you. My joke had some purpose to it. Following Jesus will stretch you. It will stretch you in ways. (laughs) Thank you for the the, uh, patronizing laugh over there. Um, Following Jesus stretches you. Reading the Bible stretches you. Uh, Making God the center of your life stretches you. Coming here to gather and talk about the things that we talk about, they, they stretch us. And today we're stepping into a story uh, where a few of Jesus' disciples, um, three of them, were invited uh, up a mountain with him. And their view of Jesus was dramatically stretched. And I think that uh, that's, this story has the potential to do that for us today too. Um, they witnessed something that was like, it was like something out of a Marvel movie. The Bible has those moments sometimes, and um, what they thought they knew about Jesus was expanded, and like I said, I hope that that's what will happen um, today for us too, and and maybe you won't end up on your face like my little stretch thing, but you know, hopefully our view of Jesus will expand a little bit and and deepen in love for who Jesus is and awe for who Jesus is as well, so let's pray before we get to stretching. Uh, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to speak and make cheesy jokes that don't really land very well, but you know what? It's all good. Um, I pray that in this message that we're going to spend some time on, that it will be your truth that comes through, that um, truly who you are will be what's heard and felt here, and that um, my opinion will, will not be the predominant thing that's heard, but that maybe this story will... Uh, convince us, and for the first time or the millionth time, that you are something more than just a human. You are God with us. So, to that end, we love you, and we praise you. Amen. All right, so what I want to do, we're going to be in um, Matthew chapter 17. Um, Everything I'm going to do, like the scripture I'll always do, is going to be up on the screen, so you don't have to pull out a Bible or whatever if you don't want to, but... You can do it on your phone. If you brought a Bible with you, that's where we're going to be, Matthew chapter 17. Uh, nine verses is what we're going to look at. And I, I want to read you the whole story first, and then I'll, I'll go through kind of piece by piece. Um, but um, before I read that, actually, I'd like to, to frame the context a little bit. So the Bible has many different genres to it, many different, like, literary genres, um, Not every piece of the Bible is to be read the same. Some of it's historical, some of it's wisdom, some of it's uh, poetic language. Um, There are definitely times when God, in partnership with the human authors of the Bible, will use figurative language to communicate things. Um, Jesus himself spoke in parables and many different metaphors in order to communicate an idea to us. So there, there are definitely times when that's true. Um, and we and we shouldn't take a story literally. Um, sometimes it's difficult to know, but there are other times, though, when um, we're reading literature, a form of literature that's um, I think kind of meant for us to take as a real story that happened. You see what I'm saying? There's sometimes in the Bible, depending on where you're reading and and what it is, where it's uh, allegorical or metaphorical or poetic. And there's other times when it's a a story that I believe we're meant to read as something that actually happened. So why am I telling you this? Um, Because the story that we're reading today um, is in one of those eyewitness accounts. It's in the book of Matthew. We've been traveling through that uh, testimony, that story about Jesus for a while now, for several months. And uh, this is a story that was written down by a person that claimed to have seen this thing happen, that this was a real event that took place. So although there, there are very many symbolic layers to the story that I'm going to share with you, um, I think the story actually did happen. And, and if we can believe that, that our view of Jesus will drastically expand. And I hope that you'll see where I'm coming from with that and what we're, I think supposed to see about who Jesus is through this story. So let's read Matthew uh, 17, starting at verse one. After six days, Jesus took with him, Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured. Did I bold them? Okay. So I got words bolded. Those are the ones I'm going to come back to. Uh, There he was transfigured before him. I'll explain what that word means in a little bit. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as the light. Just then there appeared before him Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, "'Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah.' While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them." And a voice from the cloud said, "'This is my Son, whom I love, "'with whom I am well pleased. "'Listen to him.' "'When the disciples heard this, "'they fell face down to the ground, terrified. "'But Jesus came and touched them. "'Get up,' he said. "'Don't be afraid.' "'And when they looked up, "'they saw no one except Jesus. "'As they were coming down the mountain, "'Jesus instructed them, "'Don't tell anyone what you have seen "'until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead.'" So let's start back at verse 1 there. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, these three people, and led them up a mountain. Let's start with that mountain. So where is this mountain? I can show you a picture here. Um, If you remember last week, uh, we read an incredible story about Jesus taking his disciples to a place called Caesarea Philippi, which was the darkest, grossest place that they knew on earth. He took them to that place, though, to say, my message, my gospel, my mission— in coming to the world, this Jesus saying, this is to start here, to start with people that you might consider are the furthest out. Jesus came to bring good news to all people on the planet, including a place like that. And I'll refer to the podcast or something. If you guys want to listen to that, but, um, the place that he goes next. And that's why it said after six days, Jesus took them is from Caesarea Philippi to this mountain that, uh, it's believed to have took place. It's called Mount Hermon, and this is a picture of it. Uh, you can see kind of where, the, where it's located. Uh, this is what Mount Hermon looks like today, if you want to go to the next slide. Um, it's the only snow-capped mountain in Israel. Um, it's the highest point of that country. It's about uh, 9,200 feet above sea level. They actually have, um, I've heard, a uh, ski resort. Um, on the top of that mountain, which you just you don't think that about the Middle East, right? You're like, there's a ski resort there. Um, I don't think it's a very good one, but I don't like to ski anyway, so no big deal for me. Um, but that's what the mountain looks like today. That's Mountain Hermon. It's on that mountain that the story that we're going to cover here was talked about. So Jesus is heading up this mountain, and we're not entirely sure what time of day um, it, it was that the story is that we're talking about here, but in another Um, account of this story in Luke's uh, telling of it. Um, He says that they were up on the mountain until that next day, which tells me I think that they were there overnight, that they went up this mountain at a dark time. So I picture that happening when it's dark. You're on a dark mountain, you and your buddies uh, following your teacher up in the dark uh, to this mountain to go pray. That's what uh, another account says that they were going to do. And then it says, like, out of the blue, I guess, that Jesus was transfigured. What, is, what does that word mean? Uh, in the Greek, transfigured is the word metamorpho, which means to change into another form, a change from the outside that originates from the inside. It's, it's where we get the word uh, metamorphosis, right? Sounds a lot like it, um, often does. The change on the outside that originates on the inside is huge what a picture this would look like um does anybody watch the umbrella academy um me good we're just like sheepishly like yeah i know it's a weird show but i really like it um there's there's a character in that show that uh i don't know what her power is but like there's there's a there's times when she'll like light up and you can see this light. You can actually show that picture. This light that just kind of like comes from the outside or from the inside out. And the description that we read of what's happening here with Jesus is like he changed. So he, what was the word? He um, uh, transfigured and then he was bright as the, the sun and like this glowing radiance. So I, I totally pictured these like superhero stories, which is very different than the picture that we normally think of Jesus if, if you spent time uh, learning about stories of who Jesus is, he, in this setting, is glowing with power. And it's a type of power and uh, radiance that his disciples hadn't seen before. There's There's Jesus walking on water. That's pretty crazy, right? That happened a few chapters ago. But this sort of like supernatural sci-fi crazy picture doesn't happen very often with Jesus. So I actually really value this story and I'll explain why here in a little bit. But Jesus is glowing, it says, with something that looks kind of like that, maybe with this power. And he's got his three unsuspecting disciples watching this thing unfold. And then Jesus on the top of that mountain in that kind of state, um, is talking with two surprising guests. So it says in verse 3 that just then, uh, before them, Moses and Elijah were talking with Jesus. So uh, if you don't know, that's quite strange. Um, If this story weren't spectacular enough with the glowing stuff that we've already talked about, Jesus is apparently on top of a mountain glowing and talking with two dead guys. Moses had been dead for about 1300 years and Elijah had been dead for about 1000 years. I gave you that whole framing preface. Is this, what kind of story is this? Two dead guys, glowing Jesus. Now let me tell you what he was why it's cool that Jesus is actually seen with these Two people. Um, if you go back in the story of the Old Testament, um, so many of of what's spoken about, um, and so, so many of the stories are very difficult, I'll admit, in the Old Testament. But so many of them are like foreshadows of who Jesus would be, essentially. So when you look at these two people, um, to the Israelite people, Moses, one of the people on the mountain, represented uh, the law and the law of God that was good that came to to bring clarity and joy to the people. And Elijah was a prophet that represented um, the prophecies to come, that he was the great prophet in history. And in both of those stories, um, I'm not going to go into all the details of them, but the numbers that, that Matthew uses in this story, the, the, they had significant moments on mountaintops. So both Moses and Elijah, previously written, had experiences that involved light and clouds and signs of the divine. Um, Matthew even points to the numbers that six days, three people, clouds. These are all like symbolic overlap. So there, there is a rich, beautiful um, foreshadowing that we can look at with Moses and Elijah and how like they were pointing towards Jesus. And now in this moment, they're on top of this, I mean, we're told on top of this mountain, speaking with Jesus now. And the the significance is in order to show that Jesus now glowing on this mountaintop with these two, Jesus is the great truth giver, the great uh, prophet. And the most important thing I think that that moment, no, I know that that moment is pointing towards is that Jesus is more than just a good teacher or a good truth giver, that he is God with us. He's more than just a man, he's... He's God with us. He stands with these two men who apparently are alive now, somehow, hundreds of years later. It's hard to believe. But what are they talking about? Let's keep following the story. So in Luke's uh, biology, or excuse me, um, biography of this story. Uh, It says this, that the two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor. So they use those big words, glorious splendor. Talking with Jesus, they spoke about his departure. So Jesus' departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. They were talking about the mission um, of Jesus to come to earth in the form of a person, to live a perfect life to offer himself as the atoning sacrifice for the brokenness of the world and that he would resurrect in order to bring eternal life to us. Essentially, they're having a conversation about how Jesus is going to save the world. By suffering for us, by, by sharing pain, by enduring the cross, by being spit and mocked on, by by humbling himself. So that's the conversation they're having. And remember, there's three other guys watching this. (laughs) There's those other three that didn't know this was all going to happen. I forgot about them, right? Verse 4 says, Peter said to Jesus, so he sees this conversation happening, and I imagine there's energy and wind and whatever coming from that setting he says, like, the most understated thing of a lifetime. Lord, it's good for us to be here. <laughs> it's like wind blowing his hair back, like, I'm glad I'm here right now. Um, but he says, if you if you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, Peter knew his Bible. He knew his Old Testament. He knew that uh, at times in both of those guys' um, lives back in the Old Testament, they they had moments where the divine visited earth in a special way and tabernacles were built in order for God's spirit to dwell within it. That was God's starting place, that he would start by just hanging out in a tent and eventually that veil would be torn and God could live inside of us, which is what it is today. But Peter Suggests that he make a shelter because that 's what God did for Moses after he came down from the the mountain of his experience that God made a shelter for the presence of, of God to hang out in, and he, he suggests building a house where that presence that they were watching unfold, just like the one that Moses and Elijah had experienced years and years before. Peter wants to contain it and keep it it 's good for us to be here. <laughs> I don't know what you're doing, but I like it. It's dark. Remember, it's dark. Has anybody seen the show Alone? We are just discovering that show right now, Um, which is great because we have like eight, huh? What season? Netflix, season eight, history channel for free, but you got commercials. On Hulu. On Hulu. Or you can Google it and find the answer that way. But I like your questions, Chelsea. Um, I've been sassy recently. I'm sorry. That's okay. You can take it. We're good. We're good. So uh, that show, though, one of the things that you can just feel as you're watching. So the premise is that these these people go and spend as much time as they possibly can in the wilderness by themselves. And they have just a very few items. And that they have to try and survive as long as they can until they tap out or until they are discharged because they're not, like, safe to be there anymore, like, health-wise. Um, my favorite part, um, actually, yeah, it is. I I love the tension that they feel at night when, uh, and they got their little, like, um, not glow-in-the-dark, the, what is it, night, night vision, like, cameras on themselves, and you, like, see up their nose, and they're just, <laughs> they're in their tent freaking out because they hear all this, like, crackling out there. They hear stuff rubbing up against their tent. And they got trail cams out there. So you can see that it's like either a bear, a wolf, or a cougar. You you can see them in there, the hairs standing up on the back of their head. That like, that fear, but that almost awe at the presence of this thing that you know is just right outside of your tent. I imagine... That these three individuals that Jesus took up with him to see this, that they they must have had a feeling similar to that. That uh, that hair on the back of your neck, that presence of something that is great, scary, and wonderful at the same time. Uh, This is what happens next after Peter suggests, "Let me build you guys a tent." It says this in verse, in verse five. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. Could you imagine? I mean, if this is a real story, and not just a symbolic thing that how terrified you'd actually be. That, that's like not, worlds beyond worrying about a bear outside of your tent. They were in the presence of something so much more powerful than that. They could see the glory of God. God. They could hear that powerful voice that for all of human history people have wondered about. It was swirling around them, and they couldn't stand. They fell flat on their face at the glory of this presence. And this is Jesus. This is the one whom they've seen get down on his knees and heal people. He's the one that associates with the the people in their society that are kicked to the side. He's the, the most humble, compassionate being that's ever walked the face of this planet. And now they're seeing him in this state. And they get to see the thing that humanity has always wondered about this mysterious rumor is there more than just what we see with our eyes we've always wondered that haven't we is there more to life than we can see is there a voice out there that's waiting to speak to us here's why i love this story and how i i have been looking forward to sharing this story for a while um, because although there are many stories in the Bible, like I said, of Jesus performing miracles, those are impressive and, and still take a little faith to believe, right? But most of the time, Jesus is earthly, earthy. He's in the streets, and it's his compassion and love that attract us to him to start. It's, it's his character. Jesus is in the dirt with people. He suffers with us. He's not just on a throne far away somewhere. That's what's so incredible about the fact that he would come and be God with us. But I love how this story shows me and shows us that Jesus was, was something more that taps into that wonder and curiosity that starts when we're children. Let me, let me put it this way you've seen those, those new like NASA photos. Um, when you look at that, even if you just look at the, the naked sky at night and you wonder what is out there, <laughs> how are we here? What's the thing behind the mystery? I love that in this moment, Jesus demonstrates some of that, like, out of this world stuff. This power that gives me confidence when I look at the stars to know that He is Lord of the cosmos. Colossians says that in him and through him all things hold together. Other scripture talks about how Jesus is the the co-creator with God the Father, that he had a part in designing how things would be. And when I think about Jesus in light of this story, with the power swirling around him, with all the weird elements there, hanging out with dead guys who are apparently alive somehow. My view of Jesus is expanded beyond the stars. And as deep as we can even see into the quantum world, there's got to be an answer. I'm grateful to read about the glowing power of Jesus on that day, as well as the character and humility and love that Jesus has for us, because I think God needs to contain both. Jesus isn 't and wasn 't just a good teacher he 's far more than that. I think we get a picture here of a type of power at his disposal <laughs> that if the universe began to exist at the spoken word of god that somehow jesus still has that potential while he was with us and certainly now in his glory verse 7 but jesus came when they were flat on their face kissing the rocks and touched them get up he said that that word get up i'll talk about that in a second he said don't be afraid that's, that's always the, the line that, that the Lord says in the Bible. When, when some sort of theophany, when some sort of appearance of the divine is seen and felt by human beings in the biblical narrative, do not fear is the phrase that always accompanies it. When, G, when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. The glow was done The clouds were gone, and there stood their rabbi. There stood their teacher. There stood Jesus. He told them to get up. The the Greek word for for get up there is agirio, which means to arouse from the sleep of death, to recall the dead to life. It's a word of, of resurrection. It's a, a foreshadow of the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's what he's been talking about with those other two individuals on the top of this mountain anyways. Before he goes up onto the mountain, right in between Caesarea Philippi and that mountain, he, he gives his disciples the very first glimpse. He says, I'm gonna, they're going to take my life. I'm going to give my life. That the Son of Man will be delivered over into their hands. That he'll be killed. He predicted it. Then he goes and has this conversation And finishes with this, as they were coming down the mountain, verse 9, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has raised. That's that same word for get up, raise, has been raised from the dead. So Jesus has this crazy demonstration on that mountain, all to point towards this saving act, this mission that he is on to rescue the world by suffering with it and for it in place of it so this story even as a follower of Jesus if you're honest is like that's crazy that's that's a crazy story those are those are some very th- those are some crazy details and and I get that. It's definitely wild. But let me just tell you again why I think that this story is true. And that it does, therefore, say something significant about Jesus as we've covered. Peter, who's the one that we talked about here, right? Let me build the house for you. Um, he wrote this years later um, because I think that people were probably wondering that same thing. Like, was this a real story? Did you seriously see that? He wrote. He wrote this to... Uh, a group of Christians in in the early uh, first century. He said, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So the skepticism that we have, they had too. It's not like that sort of thing was normal. Did you seriously see Jesus do this like sci-fi stuff? Verse 17, he says, for... He received honor and glory, that word glory, the weight, kavod, from God the Father when the voice came on him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. I would love to hear God's tone. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. Peter could not deny what he saw. And I say it often, you hear me say it if, if you 've been hanging around that the people that witnessed these stories um, witnessed these stories with jesus they had no they had no earthly incentive to lie about them they had everything to lose and nothing to gain they weren 't going to get rich they weren 't going to get property they weren 't going to get status they weren 't going to get um, men or women or whatever. There was nothing physical that they could gain. they had every good reason to want to deny it and eventually for Peter that would cost him his life that that message of Jesus in these stories being real would cause him to be crucified upside down the same sort of way that Jesus was and this was just a foretaste of the glory and energy that Jesus has at his disposal when he will return. I believe all that power is contained in who Jesus is. That's why, for me, um, every you know every week before the service, we hang out in the the living room over there and just take some time to pray. Um, every week, there's a there's a few new losses that people share. I share it often that this is a, a small, scrappy group of people here. Um, that at, at different seasons has felt like have been facing like a disproportionate amount of loss together. And that, that could be very discouraging. And, and it's hard when it's, especially when it's your family or somebody that you're close to and you're going through it. But I, I take hope um, knowing that the Jesus that we sing to, the one that we believe is alive, has all the power in the cosmos, that he made a promise that he would one day return and wipe away every tear from their eyes. And let me just drop this, this little, uh, I heard this in a sermon a couple years ago. Moses, this is for people that know this story well, but when Moses, uh, uh, at the end of his story in Deuteronomy, he wasn't able allowed to go into the promised land. He died before he could enter it. Except in the story that we just read, he is in the promised land. So God fulfilled his promise to him even beyond the grave. Let that blow your mind for a minute if you're tracking with me. What I think all of this means is perhaps in this life we can see the promise beginning to be fulfilled that God is a God of healing. But even beyond that, Jesus has the power over the grave. So many have come to hear God's voice and see the glory of God in all things in the universe ever since Jesus walked the earth with this message and invitation back to God. Maybe today is the day that you can see the light of Jesus clearly for the first time. Maybe this weird story that feels like a sci-fi adventure made Jesus clear in a new way to you. Maybe today you feel like one of the disciples on the side of that mountain faces flat against the rock in awe and wonder, not like speechless at the power and glory of God that's in Jesus. I believe like God called out in that cloud that day that the voice of him is calling out to us today too. The one who is present beyond the majesty of the stars, but is also as present in the dirt with us. He is our suffering savior. So Jesus is calling out to some of you today. And maybe... It's your time to receive that invitation. Do you hear God's voice today? Do you see it? Sometimes he speaks in a whisper. Sometimes he speaks in a storm. But he's calling your name. He knows you. He wants you back. You are his beloved child. And he came on a mission to earth to to bring you home. We don't do this every week, but I just want to give you a minute to be silent. Like to ask everybody just to close their eyes. I'm not gonna make you do anything weird here. But I just want to ask you, did you did you hear God's voice today? Do you hear his call back home? I want to give you a moment to just reflect and speak back to that voice. Yes, Lord, I hear you. Yes, Jesus, I believe you. That you are who you say you are. That you did come just for me. We're going to sing one more song together that talks about the greatness of God. And then I want to invite you to sing it loud as if we were just on the mountaintop together with them that day. As if we saw that light that would blind our eyes if we were to stare directly into it. Let's pray. Lord, we... um, But believe I'm not speaking to thin air right now. I can't be. There's too much that we can see and feel and touch in this mysterious life that points to something beyond, to a voice calling out to us, to a power that we know is there somewhere. I'll speak for myself today, Lord. I say yes again. I open my heart up to you to let you have your way inside of my heart. I trust you more than I trust myself. I trust your goodness and I trust your power. I pray that we'll feel your presence again here as we sing this last song.